Welcome to the Big Data Perspective. Increasingly, the worlds of BI and big data analytics are colliding. Business intelligence, of course, helps you find answers to questions you know. Some say big data analytics helps you find the questions you don't know to ask. Today, we're fortunate to speak with Howard Dresner, also known as the father of business intelligence, about BI, big data analytics, and the future of both. I'm Andrew Brust, and this is the Big Data Perspective. Howard, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome on what might be a cold day. Well, at least it is where I am. Thanks, Andrew. That's pretty cold where I am as well. So then we've already bonded before even the first question has come out. That's a good start. Um, we'll go ahead and get started, though. Just, uh, just uh, a few short questions to try and pick your brain about where things are headed um, in the in the BI world and the big data world, and at some point along the lines, I I, I, I may be I may be interested in, in asking you how you feel about the distinction these days. But for now, we'll consider them distinct. Um, in October, the Dresner blog mentioned big data's use cases for IoT, uh, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. And so my first question is, do you still believe that big data and BI have a role to play here? And how do you think big data will continue to shape various industries that are using the technology? Well, there are several questions packed in there, but <clears throat> I do think that depending on how you define big data, and if we define big data just simply as just vast amounts of very low-level data, uh, perhaps collected from sensors or other sources, then that, that may be a good starting point. And I do believe that when you're dealing with those sorts of vast amounts of information that are collected from a, a variety of sensors, they could be your smartphone, could be your car, could be smart meters, any number of things. Trying to make sense of that as humans using traditional tools is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, Maybe, I guess, impossible, really, because you're dealing with just a, such vast arrays of data, and the you know the noise to signal ratio is is extremely high. So you have to use technology to distill that uh, down to something that makes sense to us uh, mere mortals. And so, do I think big data plays a role there? Well, most certainly. Um, once again, if you're dealing with you know technologies that can ingest these in a reasonable time frame, these tremendously large sets of data and allow for their uh, analytical processing, uh, perhaps in a real-time fashion, uh, you know, in terms of streaming types of analyses uh, focused on operational analytics. Right. So, <laughs> and whether you, whether you know it or not, you, you've, you've kind of segued into the second question, maybe even, maybe even shed a good portion of the answer and that that is just around not not just the volume of data but the number of sources of that high volume data and the fact that so many of them are coming from outside of the organization um so it's more i think this also begs the same triage question you were just alluding to which is you know what's what's the poor business person to do <laughs> there's there's quite an overwhelming you know, potential for the analytics they can do. And I guess for folks like us who are focused on analytics, that's, that's exciting. But uh, there really can be a burden of choice. So I'm wondering, 
you know, if you have general advice on how <laughs> on how folks who really just need to get on with their business can can make some intelligent decisions about you know which data sources to use and how not to get just how not to get lost in the in the whole process merely of sourcing it so that they can get beyond that and start getting some insights. Yeah, and that's a fairly thorny issue. I mean, the good news is that there is more data than ever before, and you're right, most of it is on the outside, on the other side of the firewall. Uh, so it allows you, potentially, uh, if you can avoid the landmines that are out there, to uh, create much more or much better perspective on what's going on in the real world than you could have done before. So being able to combine internal sources of data with a variety of external sources of data, syndicated data, government sources, whatever the case may be, social media types of analyses, if you can use those to paint a picture of the market of your customers, of the competitive landscape, whatever the case may be, which is more accurate than you could otherwise do, then that's a win. That said, <laughs> it's extraordinarily complex, and you're also dealing with um, users who may not be as sophisticated as uh, DBAs or uh, data analysts uh, that are engaging in this, and, and the downside to that is they may uh, be engaging in analyses that are erroneous, and they may uh, may lead them to false conclusions about the marketplace, which uh, then might be invested in and uh, and, and may you know wreak havoc. A lot of organizations are uh, starting to uh, you know bring in chief data officers to start to. Um, had tried to achieve some sort of um, some sort of policies around the use of data within the organization because the volumes and the complexity associated with data probably is not going to go away. So we need to have some policies within the organization that allow us to certify various data sources. So not all of them, of course, right? But to be able to say that all right, these are the blessed data sources, and here's how you use them. Of course. That goes hand in hand with education, which is something I have to say that organizations have not invested enough in. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, uh, one of the you know we're having a, a conference in July, and one of the sessions I've been toying with having is is what I call fear of data. And fear of data is how do you get people over to overcome their fear of data, not just their their fear of data, but their ignorance of data, uh, and that has nothing to do with technology. It has to do with uh, making an investment in people and uh, curriculums that can help educate the rank-and-file users within an organization around the, the data that is available to them and how they might use that. And most organizations simply just haven't done that. You need a fluency around data within organizations. And if you can do that, if you can raise the, you know, the overall, we'll call it data IQ, of the organization, then that reduces some of the risk around these other sources of data that are brought in and combined with our internal sources. So that that's interesting because I was I was also going to sort of pick your brain on what kind of cultural and behavioral changes you thought might be necessary to achieve success around analytics, and you've kind of addressed that. And and you know maybe if I can if I can interpret and and extrapolate a little bit from what you've said it sounds like that kind of that kind of data literacy is really you know where companies need to go if they if they really want to pursue what's now getting called digitalization uh, and if they really want to you know if they really want to become quote unquote data driven it sounds like what you're saying is 
there's actually an issue of trepidation out there. You're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Trepidation is exactly the right word, but, but please continue. Yeah, so um good. So so far so far my paraphrasing is good and that's that's excellent, but it seems like sometimes that can lead to, you know, maybe erroneous, erroneous analyses, maybe even more often it just it, it it preempts analyses because people, you know, don't want to risk making those mistakes. So it sounds like that's very sage advice, uh that maybe the right thing to do is is head on, you know, is address that trepidation head on. And you also mentioned this notion of having kind of, you know, blessed or certified data sets, um, which makes a lot of sense and certainly would uh, help folks with, uh, you know, the issue of being overwhelmed with being able to get data from so many places. Help me though, I want to make sure we're not predicting a zero-sum game here. If, you know, if there's one big difference maybe between big data and BI, it's that with big data, things have seemed to be more self-service. You haven't had to agree upon the perfect star schema in the data warehouse or the OLAP cube. That's given a certain amount of agility and autonomy to people. If we're going to get to the place where data sets have to be blessed before we use them, I have, I have a feeling there's a good answer to this, but tell us why that's not the same as being, you know, forced back to the schema of reference that, you know, a lot of people thought made things kind of slow and sticky? Well, I'm, I'm, I try not to get religious about particular technologies or particular roles, but I do see with um, big data the advent of the, you know, quote-unquote data scientist, which once again centralizes that power within a single individual or a single group within the organization, and it's actually at odds with self-service. So I'm a big fan of self-service. I coined another term back in the day, uh, 1993, information democracy, which is very much aligned with self-service. It's about how do we get the, the right insights into uh, the hands of the individuals that really need them in a timely fashion. And that's really uh, very much what self-service is all about. So I'm a, a huge advocate of that. <clears throat> but um, I do agree with you that we don't want to create obstacles to people having access to data and access to insight, but at the same time, there needs to be some order. We don't want to have data chaos. And there is, right. that, well, I think that does happen in a lot of organizations. <laughs> and uh, going back to your comment about, about culture, uh, my second book, Profiles and Performance, was all about what I call performance-directed culture and how to achieve one of those cultures. And realistically, it has to start at the very top of the organization where they see you know, fact-based decision-making as critical to the organization's success and their personal success. Now, I mean the CEO has to believe this. And the case studies that we've done where we see that sort of commitment and ownership, you know, everybody talks about sponsorship and applying dollars to things. But what about real ownership on the part of the C-levels in the organization? It's amazing how they, and perhaps only they, can literally transform the culture in relative short order. So, it, you know, the culture does matter a lot. People have to value data and fact-based analysis. And if the culture embraces that, if everybody on the, at the top of the organization uses it, it's amazing how quickly people will align uh, to that reality. So I think culture is a big part of it. Technology, of course, is you need to have technologies, but I try not to get hung up on the various technologies. I'm much more concerned about culture, 
organization, and then the processes. And I do think you do need to if you want to call them certified, it may it may not be an individual certifying data sources, but perhaps mm -hmm. collectively we need to agree on all right, these are the ones that we know we can trust. Therefore right. from you know trusted external sources, they're from trusted internal sources, and then certainly give people the latitude to do more and to go beyond that uh, without corrupting those internal sources. So I may want to combine it with some social media types of analyses or external or syndicated sources, and I shouldn't be prevented from doing that as long as I, I don't change the original source data, the certified source data internally. So I think you, you want the best of both worlds. You do want to have trusted sources, but you also want to have the freedom to explore and to combine and to discover new insights using external data. Yeah, that makes it. This is audio, so you can't you can't see me, and the audience can't see me. But I'm I'm nodding a lot. It sounds like what we're saying here is, no, we don't want to go back to the days where everything is so, uh, I don't know, so 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 limited and prescribed that. Uh, by the time by the time a business person is consuming the data, it's already highly highly schematized. But what we are saying is that when I say we, I really mean you. That there there is a, there is really a necessary vetting process, and if for no other reason, so that when people do their analyses, they can cite their sources and hopefully be citing um, specific sources that have been vetted and have been you know, certified, approved, uh, uh, endorsed, whatever, you know, whatever verb makes the most sense there. So yeah. I, I think that's, that's a good middle ground. What we're saying is we do want to provide latitude. Uh, we want to do it within the context, though, of, of, of some trust. Um, and, and, and I would add one more thing, Hunter. I would yeah. say that this, this is a business initiative. And certainly we need the technical and IT resources uh, to support what we're doing, but the business needs right. to take the lead on this, and we shouldn't, uh, you know, we shouldn't abdicate that responsibility as business people. Right? Business people need to be aware of the data, they need to take advantage of the data, and they need to be supported by the IT function if there is an IT function. But we shouldn't, right. uh, you know, allow IT to own this problem. This is a problem that we need to jointly own. And the most successful implementations are where there is complete alignment between the IT resources and line of business. And if that education you were talking about and, and kind of extinguishing the trepidation that I had mentioned, if that's part of all that, then it sounds like people will be on a good path. Um, let me ask you a flip side of this, though, the, and, and maybe the question's a little loaded, but do you think it's possible we're getting to the point where some of the tools for doing analytics whether it's big data or BI for that matter, uh, might actually hide poor business understanding? Are, are, we, are we perhaps at the point where the tools are easy enough where it allows people to put together analyses that look authoritative, but in fact may be, uh, I don't know, based perhaps on you know, less than rigorous uh, analysis uh, on the back end? Uh, you're referring to Excel? <laughs> well, I'll let you pick your poison there. Well, so this um, isn't a new problem. That's my point. Right. Uh, right. You know, right. you put you put some data into a spreadsheet, you generate some charts, and all of a sudden it gives them credibility. And you know, it could be you know, it could be <laughs> invented numbers. It's hard to know that. Um, do I think there's a risk? Yeah. Once again, 
it does come down to education. That's part of my concern, by the way, <clears throat> with some of the um, some of the machine learning tools that are out there. If you're going to embrace machine learning, and I, I think there are some great use cases out there, you have to have somebody that's responsible for auditing those things. You know, we can't simply say, okay, we're not going to, you know, because we don't have the the competence level and the knowledge level to do the analyses the proper way, we're just going to hand everything over to the black box. Well, I think that's foolishness. Uh, I think people need to understand what's really driving the business all the way down to the underlying data. And so it goes back to that education issue. It's great that the tools are so usable, <clears throat> but you have to be able to look at an analysis that's generated by any tool and see a number that just looks wrong and be able to say, hold on, that's, and I do it every day. We analyze a lot of data. And you look at something, if you know your business and you know your data, you look at something and say, that's an anomaly. I need to drill down now and look at the actual row set or the actual value and try to figure out what's going on here. And should I exclude that? Is, just, is that just an outlier? Is that noise? Or is there something else here that needs to be explored? So I, I think we need to make sure that we don't give up that ability and we need to educate people once again to understand how to use data and the value of using a data. So when they see something that looks odd, they know it, as opposed to simply accepting it. And I think that's really what you're getting to. Are the tools so you know so sophisticated and so visual now, and maybe so automated that mm -hmm. we don't do that anymore? We simply don't challenge, and we should always be challenging what we see in the data. Good. I think that's an, that's another great. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't thinking we'd be going for best practices in in this discussion, <laughs> but it, I think we've extracted some, right? And so the education, the the kind of the, com, the combating the trepidation, the 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 endorsement of data sets, and being able to cite those, and and the kind of audit and challenge that you're talking about, and I think what you were also mentioning even if not in so many words, is helping people develop an instinct for, you know, data that makes sense and analyses that make sense and, and helping them helping them kind of in a visceral way being able to recognize anomalies. Um, and that that's hard. But uh, like with many things, if you kind of outline that as the goal, then you're probably a good a good way towards achieving it um, versus not even identifying it at all. Um, we're headed towards the end of our chat here, um, which means that I I have the <laughs> the easy job of asking you a, a hard question um, around predictions and you know what you what you kind of see coming down the in the analytics scene this year <clears throat> and as far into the future, two, three, five, or, you know, even 10 years from now, uh, where you feel it's not, you know, it's not silly to comment, what, whatever time horizon makes sense. What, what are, I don't know, a top two or three things that, uh, that you see coming up in the near and, and more distant futures? Well, I think I, I would stay to a, a fairly, you know, near-term horizon. I try to give up prognostication, uh, but you know I do think that increasingly um, the users will weigh in and will have you know continue to have strong influence, whether it's on the data preparation side, on the actual you know analytics themselves, and um, supported by IT. So there was a time where you know where this was all IT driven, which by the way that's not how things started back in the day. It was very user driven, then it became IT driven, and now. The pendulum is swinging back again. I think we'll continue to see that happening. So we'll see more and more 
user-driven types of technologies, whether they're up in the cloud or whether they're on-premises. Uh, I do think that's a real trend. And cloud, by the way, is another one that, you know, we've been tracking cloud for six years now, and it's continuing to grow. It's almost linear every year. And I think that we'll see more and more cloud deployments within certainly within smaller and mid-sized organizations uh, to achieve uh, better performance, to achieve better cost savings, uh, but also in larger organizations. We're seeing it certainly within departments, so I think cloud is a real trend. Um, I've been talking about uh, collaborative capabilities for a long time, and we're starting to see more of that, and we sort of look at that in combination with user governance. So I think we're going to see more of that capability over time where we're trying to leverage groups of people and specific uh, resources and skill sets within an organization that may be scarce to bring them in into an electronic conversation around business intelligence and the analytics. So I think that's quite important. I think things like IoT, uh, it's interesting because IoT doesn't register as a really high priority within our community, within our research community. Um, but I, it's inevitable, right, because the data is being collected and it has been uh, for quite some time. And there's, I mean, there's a gold mine out there to be able to connect all the dots and analyze all this data. And so I think you're going to see more interesting syndicated sources of data that are out there. And that means that the ways in which we want to analyze that data uh, will involve advanced and predictive analytics, will involve things like location intelligence. Uh, in fact, we're, we've been tracking location for quite some time. And of course, location isn't new. You know, we've had GIS systems for a really long time. They've been highly specialized, but it is becoming increasingly mainstream. It's been a sleeper topic. But if you look at IoT, uh, the value there is really understanding not only the state of various sensors and devices out there, uh, but also understanding location over time. So there are a number of technologies that we see as growing in importance. You know, once again, some of them are sleepers, but they're all very much user-enabled. They're all about self-service, once again, supported by whatever technologist or IT organization that uh, that may be available to them. Makes sense. By the way, uh, recently, I guess one one of the big BI players, Click, announced uh, an acquisition of uh, uh, a GIS location analytics vendor. So I think that I think that nicely corroborates uh, some of some of what you were saying there. Um, before we go, could I ask you to just expand on what you um, had in mind when you were talking about user governance? That seems that seems like a really intriguing concept, um, and I didn't quite understand it. Also, it's possible the audience didn't either. If we if I could get you to expand, sure. and then we'll wrap up. And it even goes beyond uh, governance. Really, what we're talking about, and the reason we sort of combined it or joined it with our uh, collaborative research is because it's about user governance. It's how do we uh, share information, how do we control how information is shared in the organization, and it goes beyond that too. One of the things we're starting to look at more closely is the notion of catalog. How do we find information within an organization? Um, and it does talk about you know things like certification. How do we certify a particular model? Um, how do we determine which are the most used, which are the most popular, as well as those that are certified within an organization? How do we capture commentary around these things and share these things. So collaboration and governance and things like catalog, I think all go hand in glove, especially in a very large organization where finding things is a real problem and you want to reduce the amount of redundancy 
uh, that you have in the organization of the duplication of effort. Neat. That, that, that sounds also like we're talking, and, and this can be hard in large organizations, but we're talking about, I mean, yeah, you're, you're kind of, um, you're kind of crowdsourcing things to an extent, but I think it's, it's also more about building consensus and getting, getting people who, you know, have a collegial relationship to also reach a shared understanding of data sets that are important and, and accurate and reliable. So I feel like that theme buzzed a few times in this conversation, and that's, that's pretty exciting, actually, because it's not something I've seen, you know, talked, discussed a, a lot or, or written about a lot. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we, we kind of worked that out um, and, and, and extracted it. Uh, Howard, thank you so much. I, I knew this would be a good chat, but uh, it was even better than I thought it would be. And uh, I'll wish you a great 2017. Thanks, Andrew. Same to you.